Hi, uh, welcome to the New Voting Project. My name is Kunal. Happy New Year for those guests that are joining us in 2022. I'm your host. And today we're very delighted to have Poppy McDonald, the president of USA Facts, a nonpartisan organization dedicated to democratizing information and facts that are displayed. Uh, you formerly served as the president of Politico. I mean, do I really need to further this introduction? <laughs> like, that's pretty cool. Uh, you are a partner at Gallup Inc., where you helped launch the World Poll and led, um, health, and led the healthcare practice there. You initially began your career working with members of Congress in the House and Senate in the Pacific Northwest. That's pretty cool, too. I mean, working in the nation's capital. But no, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us. I can understand you're very busy, but I do appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me, Kanal. I was really honored that you reached out, and I look forward to this conversation today. All right, let's get into it. Uh, just for our viewers, baseline question I like to ask everybody, talk a little bit about your background, how you got into politics, Politico, you know, where, where did this all come from, touch on college, you know, what prepared you for, for this life that you're in? Great. Yes. Yeah, so I grew up in Salem, Oregon. I was the first in my family to attend college. And I think in terms of how did college prepare me? I mean, it certainly gave me the foundation to think critically, to take in a diverse sources of information, diverse viewpoints, and really to form and articulate my own opinions in, in written form and verbally. And so that really prepared me well for all the jobs I had. Um, it also gave me the opportunity to um, be exposed to new people and new places in the world. I studied abroad in Nepal. Where I lived in a mud hut uh, with no electricity and no running water and learned to speak Nepalese fluently and trekked in the Himalayas. And then I went to Washington, D.C. for a semester. Um, so that certainly gave me uh, the foundation for my career and where I ended up spending 22 years uh, in D.C. So I'm really appreciative of my uh, college experience, and I think it, it prepared me really well. Yes, those are all things I cannot do, especially speak a fluent language in a different country. Um, I manage fairly well with just Spanish. I think that's, that's totally good. good. Uh, but no, no, that's that's amazing. Getting to spend time in DC in a foreign nation, that's that's all very inspiring, honestly. I'm about to enter that life, so, so let's see what happens. Um, and I just wanna focus on your time at Politico. Um, you, you were an executive there. What were some of your key takeaways, your favorite projects? How was it being kind of the head of this huge firm that takes care of facts that we read you know i read politico every other day you know how was that experience thank you for asking yes i was really fortunate to work at politico not once but twice so i started my first job there was to start political pro which is was our first subscription paid subscription and so that was really exciting because i was the first hire they knew that they wanted to do a paid subscription they didn't know what they were going to call it they didn't know what they would charge they didn't know who the customers would be so it was really about going out and talking to the market understanding what people needed working closely with the editor-in-chief tim grieve to pull the product together and really launch it take it to market so that was a lot of fun building it from the ground up, uh, employee one, and now, oh gosh, there are over 200 people dedicated to Politico Pro. Um, and then my second run was I came back as president of Politico. Yeah. Overseeing the entire- That's just a statement by itself. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, so that, was, <laughs> that was a really exciting return. Um, and I came back right before the 2016 election. So that was when Hillary Clinton was running against Donald Trump. Um, so certainly, um, uh, 
exciting time in Washington. Um, and I will say, yes, to say the least. So I will say um, three takeaways. I mean, there's so many, but I'll just focus on three that come to mind. Uh, one would be freedom of the press shouldn't be taken for granted. So during my early tenure, when I returned to Politico, um, after Donald Trump was elected, um, reporters had their access blocked uh, to White House briefings. Um, and I think whether a public official or their staff like or agree with the coverage of a particular outlet or not, um, it is important that the media and the public for that matter have open and transparent access to their elected officials and to information from our government. So that would be you know, takeaway one. Uh, takeaway two, I would say is um, staffing a newsroom to provide open, timely, and transparent coverage um, continues to become more and more expensive. Right. Um, and yet there has been significant pressure placed on media revenue, um, especially advertising. So my first run at Politico, when I was starting their first paid subscription business, it was just meant to supplement their advertising revenue. I think little did we realize that, you know, when I returned as president about four years later, it was and continues to be the majority of revenue for Politico is that paid Politico Pro subscription. Um, and so I think, you know, when I returned, um, you know, we learned that in these changing turbulent times, um, people are willing to pay a premium for quality information. And then I'd say the third lesson that I learned is, you know, and this is going to sound counter to the point I just made, is that at the same time, differentiating sources of information, real news versus fake news, um, information versus misinformation, it's challenging for the public, I would say, and for most people. Um, people are drinking from a fire hose of information right now. Um, and premium media outlets really can't rest on this idea that the public's going to know that we're different. Um, they'd be, they're going to be willing to pay for our content. Um, when you've got the country's president uh, referring to a respected publication as fake news, when you have a trusted family member sharing misinformation on social media, um, it you know becomes very complicated to understand like what can I trust and what can't I trust? So I think media is really going to have to continue to listen to their customers and find ways to provide value, um, ensure their coverage is accessible, but also find premium ways to monetize what they do so that they can support their editorial ambitions. Right, a lot of thoughts there, a lot of things well said. Uh, first thing I will say is that 2016 was a very monumental year just for me. Mm -hmm. The year I got into, you know, the world of politics. I started paying attention. You know, I was I was like seventh, eighth grade. We didn't care about the news. We cared about what Steph Curry was wearing, you know? Yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm from the Bay Area, a big basketball fan. But that was the year where me, a lot of my peers, colleagues, teachers, right, family members, that discussion was brewing. You know, we were all activated. It's the year I got involved in many campaigns. Um, and it's what's led me to this podcast. So I could completely understand how that's um, also impactful in your life. Um, now, when it comes to freedom of information, this is a discussion I have every single day uh, as somebody who intakes all different types of views, right? The part of the reason I started this podcast is to have diverse guests um, and include people who are left out of the conversation, whether it be students or educators or leaders within small communities, including yourself. Um, and so as somebody who watches and listens to everything, I completely understand. I mean, 
it we're completely polarized it's it's a topic of you know, my essays for college is is the fact that we're in political polarization um and and we're just we're in a powder keg of he said she said and what one news outlet i read a, a new york times article the other day that was saying in 20 years we could have corporations that are on the left and on the right and we may have to choose you know it's like starbucks is liberal and Joe's coffee is is conservative, and I'm gonna have to make a choice. Where do I go get my cup of coffee? Um, and we've reached that that point. Uh, but but you know, hopefully, USA Facts, other great organizations, respected journalists are, are doing their jobs um, and making sure we're fed fed the right facts, especially in the COVID nineteen pandemic, which is on the rise again. There's so many things to say. <laughs> so many. Yeah. But but I'm glad I'm glad you were at Politico. I'm glad it's doing so well, um, and I'm glad you're here on the show. Um, and on that note, in a data-driven world, right? Scientists we look at empirical data. My entire family is science. My mother's a scientist. Um, what data do we need in the public? And how is USA Facts trying to fill this paradigm, right? What information do you think is required for the average person to make a decision when it comes to politics? Yeah, so that's a great question. And we are in a data-driven world. I can't right. imagine running Politico without access without to data about what people were reading, what content was interesting to them, who our customers were. Um, you need data. Um, our The founder of USA Facts, Steve Ballmer, he ran Microsoft. He can imagine <laughs> not having data, right, to run his business or having three-year-old data to run Microsoft, right? He needed like real-time information about how the business was performing um, and he needed it on a granular level. And so I think what was shocking to Steve is how little data is used or is accessible to uh, when it comes to government data. And he learned that firsthand because when he left Microsoft as CEO, he wanted to do more from a philanthropic perspective to lift kids out of poverty. And he knew there were already a lot of government programs in place and being a numbers guy, he didn't wanna duplicate efforts. So he said, I'm gonna to go to the numbers. I wanna find out um, what, what are governors, the government's revenues? What are they spending on programs to lift kids out of poverty? And are they effective? And he asked a couple of uh, analysts to help him out. And they said, give us two weeks. And six months later, they were finally able to get that data out of government to give Steve a clear picture. And he said, like, this is crazy. I mean, it was a light bulb moment. Like, if it's right. this hard for me with a couple of analysts who've been dedicated to this full time to get information out of government, how hard must it be for a voter who's trying to decide, do I, the incumbent says everything's great. The challenger says right. everything's awful. Um, MSNBC says one thing, Fox says another. What is the truth, right? Or I got shared this piece of information on social media from my aunt. Like, should I trust it? Should I forward it on? Um, how would a voter get those facts, let alone how would an elective, elected official govern with data when it's this hard to get access to it? Uh, no wonder uh, we're hearing a lot of adjectives from politicians and, and on the media. No wonder we're not we're distrustful, right? Because we're not grounding on a single source of truth, on a single source of data. So at USA Facts, we, you can go to usafacts.org. We pull together the data from over 70 government sources. We want to be that we're free, we're nonpartisan, we're just that definitive source for people to go to make it easy to get that data. And we hope that means 
political and policy debates can start with agreement on the facts. And then we can have a hearty disagreement about like how we drive to the number we want or the outcome we want. But like, let's all start from a place of truth, no matter if we disagree on what's the right way forward, that like the facts are the facts. And then let's follow the numbers to see if the policy was effective and judge it by the data outcomes, not based on, well, your party passed that and now my party's in power. So I don't like that, right? No, it's like, did it work or did it not by the numbers? So that's what we're trying to do at, at USA Facts is be that one-stop shop, a definitive source for government data. Right. So when are you going to run for office? Because that was great. Oh, thank you. <laughs> no, I mean... I, I talk to elected officials, right, in my city, in my county, and it's really hard for me to make a decision on who to support, right, the whole incumbent versus the challenger. I'm at the forefront of that debate, like, almost every week, because I'm trying to make a decision, you know, who's going to help build my roads, who's going to help, you know, build another school for my city uh, versus what's already been going on for the last 20 years, right, because plans are set in place, and it's so hard for me to make a decision without having an abundance of resources, um, and, and so I'm glad USA Facts is trying to tackle that challenge. Um, and, and my one request is that make it so accessible that people at the local level can use it too. Um, you know, mayors, uh, county supervisors, district attorneys, those are important elections that need a lot of coverage because they make a lot of significant decisions at the community level. Um, and yeah, that's, that's what I do. No, that's an excellent point. And I think to truly be a valuable resource. USA Facts has to get it to the local level. And Kunal, I don't know if this would surprise you because you are so well informed, but it surprised me. There are 90, 90,000 local government entities in the United States of America. Mm -hmm. So even with all of Steve Ballmer's resources, yeah. right, we could hire 90,000 people and say, go to each entity, get that data, bring it to USA Facts yeah. so that we can make it accessible it likely wouldn't be all that helpful, right? Because right. we haven't taken the time to standardize, hey, this is the data we need collected so we can understand our schools serving our kids, are our roads in good condition, um, are our communities safe, right? What's the data that we need to collect to judge whether public policy is being effective, to judge whether the incumbent, right, is having uh, that uh, that politician who wants you to reelect them, whether they're having the positive impact, whether the policies of the party that you supported are working, right? How do we judge that without data? So, you know, USA Facts, we're being that one-stop shop, but we also, beyond just collecting the data, we're really advocating. I, I testified uh, before the U.S. House of Representatives um, in November, um, really to advocate for, hey, we need your help setting some standards when you right. uh, pass legislation Talk about what's the data that you're going to use to track if this was effective. Talk about how that data should be collected. Let states know or, or local governments know when they're implementing it, like what are the measures that you want to see tracked so that you can tell if the policy was effective. It would be very helpful guidance. Um, and it's something that could really help make our government be data-driven like um, businesses are. Exactly. And that's analogous to part of the reason this podcast is what it is is that we discuss, if we put just voting in context of the previous election, in a state like California, 
everything's pretty standard. You know, there's same day registration. I could register if I go to the polls. I can be a Democrat or Republican. I can vote right there. If I go to a state like Texas or Mississippi, that's not the same process. It's not standardized. Even in a state like New York, it could end up taking you six hours to vote in a primary election. Uh, just based on some documents you don't have because you're a college student that's from a different state. Mm -hmm. So the idea of standardizing practices as a way to then help interpret information is something that I think affects a variety of fields, which is why I always say voting is connected to everything, because anything you vote on uh, affects every other policy issue that exists. You got to vote for leaders. You got to vote for propositions. You got to vote for referendums and initiatives. Um, and, and you got to vote for people in office so that they can help make this information standard. Um, but that's just my little, you know, advertisement for the day. Um, go, go out there and vote, please. <laughs> uh, but I kind of want to transition to, you started your career at the McLaughlin Group, um, and you were working late with John McLaughlin. Yeah. I, this is way before my time. So I'm, I'm way out of bounds here, but I just want to ask you about that experience. Um, you know, I've seen the old SNL skits, um, so, so I understand what it was. But, you know, what was your favorite guest? How was that life like, um, et cetera? Yeah, I was impressed that you asked about the McLaughlin Group because it was definitely well before your time. I got, I got to do my research. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I did start my career there and I knew of the show because uh, of the Saturday Night Live parody for sure, but also because in my high school civics class, we watched that once a week. I think, you know, the teacher maybe liked to- It's like us watching Shark Tank. <laughs> Probably, yeah. yeah. Um, and so I'll, he has this big personality. If someone, you know, probably- Many of your viewers have never seen the McLaughlin Group, but if they, they Googled for the Saturday Night Live parody of it, right, he has this booming, like, issue one, you know, wrong, 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 you know, and this is the right answer. And um, he was much like that uh, off screen as well. <laughs> um, he just had a really big personality. But I will tell you, I love that internship because while I did the same thing a lot of other interns we're doing back in those ancient times, like photocopying and, you know, taking lunch orders. Um, because it was such a small team, it was like five people. I also got the opportunity as an intern to do a lot of really interesting substantive work. So like I got to go to his house on the morning of tapings and, you know, help with last minute changes to the script or, um, you know, update him on what the latest things were in the news in case we wanted to, you know, change the script for the day. Um, I got to work with our panelists who were, you know, the most notable um, journalists from every major publication who would join him in that roundtable format. Right. I would staff them in the green room on the day of the show. Um, and so it was just like really a lot of fun. I even got to write, you know, the script for a segment of the show um, because they just, you know, it was all hands on deck. So that was a really good time. And while I'll say I didn't necessarily have like my one favorite guest or my one favorite segment, um, it was really cool towards the end of my internship. The, the panelists uh, were asking me, you know, these notable journalists, hey, what are you planning to do after college? And I said, well, you know, I really want to work on Capitol Hill. And they said, you know, put us down as your references. And I said, oh, you know, thank you. You know, I thought that was really nice. But then when I went to Capitol Hill and I'm, you know, I didn't know anyone. So I'm just pounding the pavement. I remember, you know, handing my resume and the chief of staff pulling it up, looking at my references and laughing and like, are you kidding me? Is the entire panel of the McLaughlin Group like really your personal references for your first job out of college? And at that point I was like realized, wow, what a fortunate experience I had to like yeah. get to work with these 
uh, prominent journalists uh, in the green room and then to have them offer to be my references. And I, I think it really did, did help me, you know, going in with sort of no connections and just pounding the pavement to land that first job on the Hill. That's pretty cool, actually. I, I, I want to do something like that. That'd be so cool. Um, I bet yeah. you can. Yeah. I, I have faith. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad some people have faith. Um, now let's go back. You know, that was kind of like yeah. a breather. Let's go back to polarized America. We're almost going to yeah. die, you know, Terminator-ish. Yeah. Uh, America's split. You know, I, like every day a new poll comes out. I mean, it, it's hard for me to fathom what's going on, right? It's about to be the anniversary of January 6th. You know, that's something I'm seeing in the news more recently, discussing those tragic events um, and, and insurrection on our democracy, right? Um, there's a lot of trustworthiness that I have in the sources that I read. Um, and, and I like to say I read a lot of credible news outlets, but there are people out there who just reject it all, um, who are ignorant, who are exhausted, who are alienated from that process. And so how would you say that USA Facts is trying to bridge that divide? Right, because we're obviously entering a very partisan times. We're about to go into the midterms. There's a lot of things up in the air. Um, what would you say is the best thing you and USA Facts can do uh, to to help make sure that these elections and things stay transparent? Yeah, so I really appreciate where you're coming from, Canal, and agree that Americans have historic trust right now. Right, it's a, it's a, I mean it's historic no trust, historic lows in trust. <laughs> and like, it's no, it's no surprise, right? When right. it's a lot of like, he said, she said kind of stuff. And really, USA Facts, we're trying to bridge the divide um, by bringing everyone in agreement around like, what are the facts? What is reported government data about where things stand right now? And then like, have at it, like, healthy debate and discussion is good good for America, right? Like, let's debate like how we move the country forward. But let's start with agreement of the facts. And so I hope that, you know, when you turn on Fox and MSNBC, or when you hear from the incumbent or the challenger, they start with like, well, we can all agree, these are the facts. Now let's talk about where we move forward. Um, and I think that would start to rebuild trust. Oh, okay. I, I heard two different viewpoints, but it started with the same facts. And I really think making those facts accessible is where it has to start, right? Like, of course, if it takes six months to get the facts around what are, where does poverty in America stand and what are the government programs and is it making a difference? Well, well journalists don't have six months, right? People right. who work in government don't have six months, right? They're, they're moving quickly. So USA Facts is really all about bringing that data together, making it accessible, making it easy to find and to understand. And hopefully like we believe that like serious reasoned and informed debate can happen when we start with agreement on the facts. Yeah, let's all agree on the facts, please. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a pretty blanket statement um, to make. I, I mean, it's tough, you know, family members, friends, people, people you talk to, they're gonna have differing opinions, but the best thing I, I like to have is that it's, I always believe it's an open conversation, right? There's, there's plenty of voices that can come to the table. The hardest part I feel is how to get a seat at the table, mm -hmm. right? Having an opportunity to get at the forefront of an issue, organize around it, advocate, and have some action, right? If you feel very strongly about something, that's kind of how I see it going. But the other part is making sure you're well-informed. And mm -hmm. that, I believe, USA Facts 
is handling <laughs> and, and will continue to handle. Um, so I thank you for that. Um, your background is in polling. You know, polling, no offense, it's a bad joke. I mean, <laughs> it's, really, it's really tough because I look at polls, you know, I'll look at 538, I'll look at what CNN releases, I'll look at a variety of polls and it's still hard to make a decision. Um, is, it, is it true, is it not? Uh, what do you think we should do about the current digital age, right? We're entering an age of cryptocurrencies and blockchain and NFTs, but we're having trouble managing our government because the data is insufficient and it's not accessible. Um, and and we're, when we're trying to predict these things, it's difficult for us to do so. Um, so what would you recommend? What is your advice to, to, to handle that issue? Yeah, I mean, I am no pollster. So yeah. I did a work at Gallup and, and helped launch their first world poll. Um, but I was definitely on the, we're the customer's business development side of it. I will say though, uh, while I understand polls have not done a great job at predicting election outcomes, and you know certainly that has a lot to do with dated methodology, right? In this rapidly evolving world. And um, there's a lot of work to be done on that front. Um, I do believe that listening to your audience is fundamental um, and whether through evolving polling methodology or in other ways, um, I'm hopeful that there continues to be a reliable way for public policy leaders and, and business leaders um, to really access and respond to public opinion. I think it's so important. So, um, you know, I, I don't have the magic wand for like how to fix it or make it right. And I know there's a lot of uh, companies out there trying to figure it out. So, um, you know, I'm hopeful that um, accessing public opinion rigorously will still be um, an important part of, you know, how uh, leaders hear from from the public, whether uh, elected officials or people running for office or or people in in companies. Right. Yes. Listen to your constituents. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. No. That's great. Uh, and I just want to close out with the question I like to ask every single guest, which is, what is your advice? Right. Particularly for my generation, Gen Z. I seriously don't know where they got Z from. Like it's so like it's so ambiguous. They just gave us Z. They're just like, just take the letter. Um, but uh, it's a separate podcast idea discussing that. Uh, <laughs> how do we make an impact, right? We're talking about public policy. We're talking about information, misinformation, um, voting, elections. How do we make an impact? How do we, how do we reach vulnerable communities, right? And, and, and spread the information that needs to be heard, you know, and stay engaged ultimately. Well, Kunal, I thought you were doing a pretty good job earlier, right? Vote, 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 Please. get a seat at the table, right? Those were some of the things that you were talking about. So Please. I would concur with that. I mean, I would say like, I would emphasize, you know, you said, how do we stay engaged? Like stay engaged, right? Uh, track the issues that you care about. Kunal, you talked about like reading and, and following what's going on in the world. Um, and then bring the facts to every conversation, right? I'm biased, but I think it's important. So uh, when you see It's something, a good bias. It's a good, good bias. <laughs> <laughs> bias to facts. But yeah. Yeah, when you see something posted on social media that, that you question, like, bring the facts, or if you don't have the facts, say, what are your facts on that? What's your data? Like, what is your source of that information? Do that with your elected representatives. Ask them for meetings, go to their town halls, ask them to give you the facts and the data. Um, and you know, when you hear or you read something that doesn't sound right to you, like, please, please demand the facts or go find the facts. Um, and then, you know, that's, that's my bias on facts. My second bias I would say is 
to what you said, get a seat at the table, please, please, please um, run for office. And I think it can start small, run for student body uh, at your high school, run for uh, the student council where you go to college, right? Like these are all sort of practicing that skill set of what it's like to run and lead and represent your constituency and have your voice heard. Um, I'm on the board for an organization called Running Start, which is nonpartisan. It just encourages um, young women, but uh, young people to run for office um, and just start getting involved, start getting involved early because I think really um, the way you all are going to create change, Gen Z, is like get that seat at the table. Um, and so um, I would just, yeah, encourage people to, to get involved. Yeah, it's actually the, the number one thing I tell everybody I meet is to run for office if you want to see it at the table. That's literally all I say. Please run for office. Um, and I'll say the same to you. Please run for office if you get the chance. Um, it could be worthwhile. And it's, a, it's an amazing journey. Um, Back at you. Uh, I got a couple of years, actually. Okay. I, I have to vote in my first election first, and then we'll talk about that. All right. Sounds good. Exactly. Uh, but no, uh, and how can how can people stay uh, updated on, on USA Facts? This is the only time where you can promote USA Facts. If you want to plug your social media as well, I'll link it all in the description. Great. Yeah. Go to usafacts.org. Um, while you're there, sign up for our newsletter. It's a, a weekly newsletter that just keeps you updated on the latest data we have and the, the latest uh, information. Um, and then you can follow us. We're on TikTok, we're on Instagram, we're on uh, Facebook, we're on Twitter at, at USA Facts. Um, and I'm at Poppy MacD. Um, and uh, certainly uh, welcome uh, people getting in touch. So thank you. Exactly. And I get a follow back on everything because I'm just that cool. Uh, is there anything you'd like to add? Uh, just thank you for reaching out to me. I, I really appreciate it and really enjoyed the conversation. Of course, right back at you. Thank you so much for, for the insight, for the perspective. I think it's very invaluable. I think people need to start listening to, to, to all sorts of voices to help make decisions. And, and that's what this channel is all about. Um, so thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for your time. Um, and, and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you, my pleasure. Take care.